Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Welcome to Habits for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits you can employ in your daily life to make you happier. Today, to talk about fear, the habit of fear, and how love can overcome fear is master life coach and my friend, Todd Musselman. Welcome, Todd. And today, for those of you who don't know, I want to introduce myself. I am Lady Fuller, a Habits for Happiness coach and success coach who helps clients drop limiting habits and adopt healthier habits for a happier life. Let me quickly introduce Todd. He has a a very robust bio, but most of all, he's a master life coach. He's also a motivational speaker, and he is a father and a husband. So I want to introduce you, Todd, and let you and let tell audience sort of what you do and, and what you bring to the world. (laughs) <laughs> well, <clears throat> thanks for having me, lady. It's great to see thanks. you. Thanks. Yes, uh, it's an honor. Thank you for having me. Um, <clears throat> well, I guess, um, what do I bring to the world? Um, that's a great question. I think the, the main thing is um, a perspective. That, that's what I bring mm-hmm. to the world, a perspective that <clears throat> certainly isn't the truth, but it's a perspective that um, I think some people have found valuable to uh, implement in their lives. Um, I speak a lot about mindset. And um, about, you know, the choice of um, choosing love over fear. And um, so I think that's an appropriate habit to talk about today. I'm um, very excited to delve into that. You know, my background is I grew up in a, a small family business. Uh, we lost that business to bankruptcy in 2008. <clears throat> and um, at 47 years old, I reinvented myself and um, started coaching and speaking and I have the great honor to crisscross this country speaking uh, a lot recently, and it's super fun. Um, I I talk to lots of groups, uh, you know, about three times a week I get to talk. So it's really fun. Oh, that's awesome. That's super amazing. So tell us and let the audience know, what are are ways in your daily life that you choose love over the habit of fear? Well, I mean, I think the best way to, you know, in my own life... um, to remind myself uh, when I when I find myself getting upset, for instance, or, or triggered, um, defensive, those are all indicators of fear, at least to me. Mm. Um, as is preoccupation and uh, distraction; mm. those are also manifestations of fear, at least from my perspective. And so, um, you know, for me, it's just an awareness thing. Um, one of the <clears throat> most important. Um, things anybody's ever shared with me is a simple sentence that awareness is the first point of choice. And wow. um, awareness is the first point of choice. Tell us more. Well, it changed my life um, in, in many ways because uh, it was related to uh, uh, my son at the time. I had some thoughts and awarenesses that weren't really clear or wasn't aware of what was really going on. And <clears throat> so my, my, one of my dear friends just, uttered that phrase. And I mean, wow, it really impacted me. So awareness is the first point of choice. It simply means that until we're aware of who and how we're being, we can't choose out of an ineffective way of being and into a more effective way of being until we're aware of how we're being. Yeah. It's and, like the first step in change, right? Yeah. Awareness. So 
<clears throat> as an example, and it's not a fun one, lady, but it's a good one. Um, it's likely that most, if not everybody on this call has known somebody in their life that was an alcoholic that wasn't aware that they were an alcoholic. Yes, and, I'm sure. Right. And, and so in that case, you might have even thought to yourself, my gosh, why don't they just stop drinking? They're an alcoholic. But until they're aware that they're an alcoholic, there's really no chance they're going to stop that habit. It's only when they become aware that they're an alcoholic, that's where the choice shows up. It doesn't mean they'll choose out of that habit, but now the choice arises, as an example. That's a kind of a hard one to look at. Yeah. Um, you know, another one that maybe hits closer to home and a little more of a humorous basis, it's likely that most, if all, not all people on this call, if they're in a relationship, have had a repetitive fight in their marriages or their partnerships. It's the same yes. thing, right? And, and, and you'll continue to have that until you distill it down and become aware of why do I get triggered? What is actually going on here that's triggering me such that I have this reaction every time my groundhog did? And until I become aware of what's triggering me, I'm just going to have that same reaction. And in my parlance, every time we react to that thing, we go to the victim side and we become, you know, victims and that's fear. So uh, yeah. that all kind of ties into that whole thing. Well, what's coming up for me is this idea that awareness and curiosity are like closely linked. Mm. So, you know, in order to have awareness, I mean, is it true that we would have to be curious? I would think so. Uh, it starts with an inquisition for sure. Um, yeah. The, the question that what's going on here, the curiosity, how, what, what is triggering me? You bet. Always. I mean, I think questions open up the door to almost everything that, that's in the way of our, uh, us being our highest self. Yeah. So tell me, let's let's step back. So for the audience who might not be completely aware of this habit of fear, why don't mm. you describe for me, because you do see clients and speak to large groups, you know, all over the, the country. So you you interact with a lot of human beings, right, who exhibit habits of fear. So why don't you let people know, you know, what are we talking about when we say fear? What, what exactly is that? Well, the first thing I'd say about fear is typically fear kills our possibilities, human beings. Fear kills our possibilities as human beings. I love that. It, you know, it gets in the way a lot. And, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, lady, I know a lot about fear. Um, it's likely I've let fear get in the way more than probably most of the callers on this phone call. And, and every time I've let fear get in the way, you can hear the sucking sound in my spirit. It's like a vacuum just pulling it out of me. Oh, the chills. It's soul sucking. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, in other words, I've let a lot of dreams go unattained. And aspirations go unpursued because of fear. So I know a lot about it. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not very fun to come from fear, but I don't know of a single person that's devoid of fear. Well, actually, that's not true. One to three-year-olds, they're devoid of fear. <laughs> the wondrous wonders of us, yes. yes. Right. The place but, people are trying to continuously get back to, that younger, oh my gosh. fearless you know, self. Yeah. The, the tragedy and all that is, you know, up till about one, up till about three years old, really, they are truly fearless. But then something happens somewhere around three, three and a half, four years old, a question enters every human being's mind. And the moment this question enters our mind, everything changes as a human being. And the question is, how am I looking right now? Mm. And the moment that question comes into our, our mind at three, three and a half, four years old, we start doing something very insidious in the human experience. We start comparing ourselves to others. Mm. And that's usually doesn't work out very well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the comparison when, trap. It's, yeah, it's normally real. 
when we compare ourselves to other, we're not dominating that other person. In fact, it usually makes us feel like crap when we compare ourselves to others. And that starts, believe it or not, at three, and a, three, three and a half, four years yeah. old. The other thing that happens in that moment is the moment I start comparing myself to somebody else, then I, I miss out on the opportunity to be present. And as far as I know, there's only one place that magic shows up in the entire human experience. It's this moment. And so if we're comparing ourselves or we're preoccupied because of fear, we're missing out on all the magic in life. Yeah. Um, and it's a big deal. And so, so, so yeah, fear steals our magic. I think it does. Um, it, at least it does as, as far as I can see. You know, certainly it has some, you know, there's some, sometimes there's some, you know, uh, positive aspects of fear. Certainly they can propel us into taking, you know, heroic action sometimes and, but usually the day diminishes, the fear diminishes us and has us playing small. Um, yeah. That would be the, the common outcome of fear. I think. So it's, a, it's an obstacle. For sure. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's an obstacle. I think it's, an, it's a barrier for many of us. It's not even an obstacle. It just forms a barrier. What, what's interesting about fear is Stephen Pressfield said in his amazing book, um, you know, Fear is a compass a lot of times pointing us in the direction we most want to go. If we could just push through that fear, what's on the other side of that barrier that fear creates is what we most want in our life. But fear stops us as it has me many times. You know, yeah. metaphorically, I've driven the ball down the field 95 yards and stopped at the five yard line because of fear. Yeah. Can you give us an example of, in your life, a real example of where oh God, fear well, was? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> we have an hour, but yeah. I mean, maybe give us an example of a place that fear did not serve you. And then maybe a way that you also push through. Cause I think what's coming up for me is that it's so beautiful to think of this idea as pushing through fear to what we most want. Right. It's like, yeah. it's this compass. It's where the magic lies sort of on the other side of fear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we can know that logically but our critter brain has us trapped in this like fight, flight, or freeze stance. And so we're, we almost like most of us don't have the capabilities, the tools, at least we don't know how to start the process of pushing through fear. So I guess what would be helpful is some tips and some real life tips of how we would do that. So starting with an example of maybe where fear didn't serve you in, in, in some way, and then we can move to where it did and you push through it. Yeah. So, um, I think the most uh, clear example in my life where fear really held me back for a very long time. Um, so I worked in my family's business, as I said, and I worked with my family members for 22 years and, and I had a blast. I, I have a, I'm a very, I come from a very close family and I work with all my siblings. I have three brothers and a sister. I work with my parents. We had 220 employees. Um, some of you guys might recognize the company that I that we grew. It was called URA Sportswear. And in 2008, we lost that business to bankruptcy. But the point of the story is for, for the 10 years prior to us losing our business, I wanted to do what I'm doing now, but I didn't have the courage. Mm. And I mean, every day I looked in the mirror and knew that I was, I was not doing what I was called to do. And, and yet I, 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 I succumbed to comfort. One of the things about fear, fear loves comfort. It succumbed, loves comfort. succumbed to comfort. I love this, yes. this whole idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's a lot of things about fear, but one of the other things about fear is fear loves comfort. It loves to hold us 
and, and keep us complacent and, and from growing. You know, um, <laughs> I've never really met a person that grew when they were comfortable. Mm. It's in the discomfort of life. That's where we grow. And yet what I notice is a lot of people, their only goal in life is to get comfortable. And I get it. I'm not judging that as wrong or bad, but I do say that when you get comfortable, you don't grow. You don't grow as a human being. And so you 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 come, become stagnant and complacent inside of comfort. Mm -hmm. And so I was very comfortable in my job. And fear just loved that. It sucked me in from being my highest self. It sucked me in from doing what I knew I was called to do. I mean, literally every day, lady, I, I had a battle, internal battle. What are you doing, dude? You, you got yeah. to go for it. And what's the cost of staying comfortable? At least what was it for you? <laughs> I was out of my integrity. Yeah. There couldn't be a bigger cost than that. Um, and I didn't love what I, uh, I was doing. So there's, I mean, I love working with my family, but I didn't love selling clothing. I was a classic accidental salesperson. I, I was the poster child of accidental salespeople. <laughs> and so I, I've been one of those. So yeah, yes. laughing with you, not at you. Yes. No, I mean, oh my God. I didn't come out of college thinking, oh man, I can't wait to sell clothing. That's not what I came out of college <laughs> thinking about. <laughs> so, but I just, you know, I, I took the path of least least resistance, and um, and I stay and I played small for only only those last ten years, and then we lost the business, you know. And so, at that point, I had no choice but to reinvent myself, and and that's where that's where I could say the other side of then pushing through that fear because I started down the road of of speaking and coaching, but it, <laughs> I was only interested in it, lady. I wasn't committed. Tell and me more. Well, the universe, the universe doesn't really support people that are interested in things. It really only gets behind us when we get committed to things. And so I started down this road and uh, of speaking and coaching, but I was only interested. I wasn't committed. And my mom called me about three months into my little new journey. I'll never forget it. It was super funny. And she said, Todd, how's that new career going, this coaching and speaking thing? I said, oh, my God, Mom, I love it so much except for one thing. And she said, what's that? Well, I haven't been paid yet. But other than that, it's awesome. <laughs> Details. Yeah, note to, note to everybody in this call. It's not very hard to speak and coach for free. Lots <laughs> but, and, and so I was literally... The day that I had decided that I was a joke and this whole thing was a joke and that I needed to quit and actually make some money, I was in the back alley in my little town of Steamboat, Colorado, and I was I was I was part of some event. I can't remember exactly what I was doing there, but I remember having this feeling and I started tearing up. And I swear to God, right when that happened, my dearest friend on the planet, Stephen McGee, who's a very successful call, coach, called me. And his radar must have been up. He said, hey, how's it going? I said, oh, my God, uh, it's not going well at all, buddy. It's terrible, actually. I decided to quit this whole thing. He said, well, that's interesting because I called you to tell you about this guy that's offering an apprenticeship in Phoenix, Arizona. His name is Steve Chandler. And I think you should throw your hat in the ring. He could change your life. And I'm like, huh. I mean, I was really ready to quit. <laughs> so, okay. And so I did. I contacted Steve and, and uh we had a, a couple of great conversations. He'd love that I'd been through a bankruptcy and he'd love that I was a professional musician because that would make the speaking thing a little easier. So lo and behold, he, uh, he chose me to be his apprentice, but that wasn't the big hurdle. The big hurdle was his fee. See, 
in order to work for Steve Chandler and be his apprentice, it was a $50,000 fee. And, wow. And, and I didn't have two nickels to rub together because I just come out of this bankruptcy. So the way that I pushed through the fear, I did something very unusual for me. I made a bold request. You know, lady, I've worked with a lot of people that I think live amazing lives as a coach now over the last 11 years. And what I've noticed about those people is they're pretty good at a couple things. One of the things I've, I've noticed about people that live amazing lives is they're really good at making bold requests of others and themselves. It's amazing how they do that consistently over and over again. And the thing about them is it's okay if it's no, because they just see that as information. They don't see it as a referendum on their good enoughness, you know? And, um, but that was not my, my strong suit by any means by the other one. Um, and so I did something very unusual. I called, uh, I, I called my, one of my best friends who's a venture capitalist. And uh, I said to him, Hey, Kevin, I got a crazy question for you. He said, what's that? I said, have you ever, ever invested in a person before? He goes, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's I, a good idea. Yeah. I said, what, what, okay, dude, what's going on? And so I said, well, I, I've got this situation and, and I just, you know, I need an investor um, in me. And he said, well, okay, what do you need? And I said, I took a big gulp lady and I said, 15,000. And he didn't even hesitate. He's so amazing. He said, you got it, buddy. Come on over and I'll, I'll write you the check today. So I did. I went over and got that check. And then I pieced together the other $10,000. I negotiated a half down, half monthly payment with Steve Chandler, which he'd never done before, by the way. That was a bold request too. Yeah. And then, um, and I'll never forget. So when I put that check in the mailbox on a Friday, I almost vomited. I was so scared. I mean, I was leveraging everything. I had three young kids. I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, but what was amazing, ladies, by the next Wednesday, I had four paying clients. And I did, amazing. Not, I, I did not do anything different other than commit. And so in the world of, you know, fear versus love, uh, victims come from the world of fear and they come from the world of being interested in, uh, owners come from the world of love and they come from the world of being committed. So the question that's really relevant for everybody on this phone call is what are you interested in? What are you committed to and who are you committed to? I mean, really committed. It's a really powerful question to ask yourself and, and specifically in four areas that I think are really valuable in terms of just looking at fear and, and love. Um, it may be like, it's likely that some people on this phone call are only interested in the jobs they have right now. They're not actually committed. In other words, they go to work every day and they just check the box. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, except for one thing, you're out of your integrity. And I know a lot about this. I was a box checker, as I said, for 10 years. It just sucks. It's just like literally sucks the life out of it when you know you're really not doing what you're meant to do. And so if you find yourself on this call and you're only interested in your job, maybe there's, maybe the today's the day either get really committed or do something different because you're not helping your team or yourself by just being interested. Another, another area that I see interested versus committed play out is in, in our relationships. You know, our marriages, our partnerships, uh, some people on this call are no, no doubt likely to be interested in having a better relationship, but they're not committed. They've talked about being more present at home more, more, you know, in more meaningful conversations. And maybe it lasted for a couple of weeks, 
but it's waned. And now they're just back to the preoccupied person that's never home, even when they're home. They're never present. So, or maybe, yeah. Sorry. yeah. So if someone wants to be committed, Todd, hmm. and they don't know how, right? Yeah. Let's say they're interested in being committed. How would someone be committed? How do they move from the interested box to the committed box? Well, I, not to be simplistic, but it really is pretty simple. Take an action. And the more action. uncomfortable the action you can take, the better the result. Action is always the way out of the victim mindset. Action is all the way out, out of fear, um, at least to me. And, yeah. and so, you know, what keeps us inside that victim side, inside the fear side is that um, we, we get frozen. We don't take action. That's what fear does. It, you know, it freezes us a lot of times. There's, there's all these, you know, great um, uh, what, uh, perspectives on fear, uh, that fear is either fight or flight, but there's actually a third reaction to fear that's the most common, and that's the freeze. And, and so um, I think if anybody's on this phone call listening about, and they recognize themselves in the relationships or their, or their job, take an action. That would be the thing to do. Pick up the phone and, and get some support uh, for your marriage. Yeah. Or, so, or, yeah, go ahead. And so just, just to draw it back to, the, to this habit of fear, yeah. um, could, we, could we simplistically say that the antidote to fear is action? Well, I think the antidote to fear is love. Love propels right. the action. Okay. Um, you know, if you can take an action, but if there's not love behind it, I, I don't think it's going to really push the needle very far. I yeah. mean, it's useful, but I think it's got to be a loving action, one that's well-intended, one that, you know, comes from that place of love. Um, you know, yeah, so a couple of other areas that we're interested versus committed is our health. Some people on this call are interested in being healthier, but they're not committed. Yeah, see that a lot, actually. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, January 1st has come and gone. In fact, now some of us are pointing to the next January 1st. <clears throat> that's when we'll recommit to our health, right? Yeah, that's why we have a, you know, a billion dollar plus diet industry, right? Because it's all, yes. it's harping on the people who, who can't commit. Right. It, or it's not that they can't commit, they're not willing to commit. Mm, important distinction. I think so. I mean, anybody can commit. Are you willing to commit? Um, and then the last aspect we're, we're interested in and in, in not committed is in, is in the pursuit of passions and fun. Yeah. You know, metaphorically, um, well, I'll just give you a simple example of what I mean. Um, you know, I, I, before COVID, I played, you know, weekly as a professional musician in a little uh, bar and steamboat. I, I would say about 30% of the time after a gig, someone would come up and say this to me, hey, man. I, I've got a guitar. I've had a guitar for 15 years. I'm really interested in playing. And the moment they said that, my heart sank for them because I knew every time they went home and they looked at that guitar that they've never picked up, there's only one thing that happens to their spirit. It drops off a cliff. And yeah. so, you know, if you find yourself listening to this call and there's a, there's a passion that you haven't pursued or you want to pursue, then today's the day. Pick the damn guitar up. Start playing. You went from interested to committed in one action. You, you did something. And, and, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but in many ways, life's pretty simple. <laughs> it's not rocket science. Yeah, no, it is. And that's what I love about habits is they're, yeah. they're tangible, free, and simplistic. And we all have the ability to have agency over our lives if we practice them. 100%. I, I know you're, I know you, I haven't heard all your, your podcasts, but I, I'm pretty sure you've, you've quoted, uh, um, 
our friend, our friend, um, oh God, now I'm going to forget his name, Stephen, Stephen, uh, oh my gosh, um, the guy that wrote Seven Habits. Stephen, Stephen Covey, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for rescuing me. I uh, love Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, yes. everyone, Stephen well, Covey, and he's a, he's a huge proponent of, of the seven habits, but really this concept of life being a win-win which is my favorite takeaway from his work. No, he's his. I think the most simple thing he said and most profound was you want to change your life, change your habits. Mm, It's such a simple premise, but so powerful. But thank you for rescuing me, by the way. No worries. The change your life, change your habits. Yeah. You know, the way I view habits um, is that we have this, this thought process throughout our lives that, you know, it really comes from our external culture, which is, which is fear-based that if we check all these boxes, like you're talking about and live in comfort and, and become the CEO of a company and have 2.5 kids and marry the best looking person in the room and have a great house and, you know, join the right, you know, group or whatever it is that we will find happiness. And, you know, happiness isn't really out there as you've preached and taught me it's it's inside of us. And, you know, I always say the key is through healthy habits and we have to know that we are in control, that we are the authors of our story and our journey and the heroes of our own story. And the way that we do that is we have to, one, take our power back, which is this idea of giving our power to others, which is very fear-based. And then we have to decide how we're going to empower ourselves and others and I would assume you would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that that power, that internal power is one of the tools we would use to push through lovingly the barrier of fear to what we really, really want in this life. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think everything you said aligns with, you know, how, how my perspective anyway. And, and I, I want to be clear about um, the main message of the today, and that is to choose love over fear 10% more often in your life. Oh, I love that. So let me just repeat that for the audience to choose love over fear 10% more in your life. So that doesn't mean it has to be perfect. Oh my gosh. Not even remotely. But, it's just well, a teeny bit more. Yeah. What, what could 10% more of that experience do for your quality of your life. So let me give you a couple examples because some people were on this call saying, well, that sounds great, dude, but what the hell do you mean by choosing love over fear? So I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean. Well, I'm going to put a pin in that because we're going to go to break. So everybody, um, we are here with Todd Musselman, master life coach, who's talking about choosing love over fear. He's about to give us some real world examples of how we can choose love over fear in our daily life, just 10% more to have fully life-changing effect and hang tight. We'll be right back. You guys. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about our individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. Or check out our coaching business at habits, the letter for happiness.com. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow. Contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now, back to our program. Here again is Lady Fuller. And we're back to Habits for Happiness. Thanks, everyone, for hanging in there. We're here with Todd Musselman, who's a master life coach, speaker, family man, amongst other things. And he's also my friend. And I'm so honored to have him here today sharing with us about the habit of fear and this idea of conquering fear with love. And we were just left off before the break with the with some examples that Todd was going to give us of how we as human beings in our daily life can overcome fear with love just 10% more of a time more of the time so we don't have to feel like this practice is overwhelming or something we have to do perfectly or have to do always in every situation so Todd take it away okay well so the, the, again the, the goal here is to choose love over fear that's the charge for everybody in this phone call 10% more often and so to give you a couple examples what I would ask everybody on this call to do is I, would you, I, I want you to take yourself to your, your workplace and I want you to put yourself at your desk and imagine you're at your desk right now and you're working away and all of a sudden you get a call from a very pissed off customer. They're your best customer and they're pissed at you. And you had no idea this call was coming. Like it came out of the blue, you, bam, it's right in your ear and they're, 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 they're bringing the heat. My question is, what do you do in that moment? Do you react out of fear and get defensive, which is the default for most human beings? Or do you overwhelm that call with love and just hold a space for that, that client, that customer, that direct report, that peer, whoever that is in your life, to be however they're being and not try to fix them, not try to change them, but just support them in working through that, that experience, those feelings. Because if you do that, that's a loving thing. That's choosing love over fear by holding the space for somebody and just holding that space and not trying to fix them, not try to change them, just meet them where they are. So that's one example. Here's another one. I want you to imagine that you, you just walked in your front door at home and within the first 30 seconds, you're greeted by a very pissed off spouse or an upset child. My question is, what do you do then? Do you go grab a beer? Go to the back porch and 
check out for the next hour and justify why you're not going to engage with your damn spouse or your upset child because that's fear or do you hold a space just slow down in that moment just meet your spouse where they are not try to fix them not try to change them just hear them out and then get really curious and 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 employ one simple question tell me more what else that's choosing love over fear lady those are two simple examples that i'm guessing most people can relate to so when yes. we get the, when we get defensive defensiveness is caused by our experience of not being good enough somebody is challenging our not enoughness and it pisses us off it's really instantaneous for most human beings and we give up all of our energy all of our power and all of our performance and all of our presence in that moment all that goes away and it's backfilled by resentment and resistance a lot. So we have a choice in that uh, that time. That's what I call the vital choice. See, for me, every human being is involved in a vital choice on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. And I believe the vital choice that we're all involved in is at any moment in time, we're either coming from fear or coming from love. One of those two is running the show. And depending on that equation and how often you're choosing love over fear, that will dictate and determine a lot about the quality of your life and the relationships in them and, and you know so just to be clear once again i'm going to set this table preoccupation and distraction are just manifestations of fear at least to me yeah so give yeah. us some examples of preoccupations and distractions for those people that might be wondering what those would be well i'll just couch it this way you know i i, I spend most of my time out there in the speaking world talking about presence because to me, presence is the portal to everything that's meaningful as a human being. Let me say that one more time. Presence is the portal to everything that's meaningful as a human being. Or, or said a little differently, lady, I've never met one person that could articulate one positive, meaningful experience they've had in their entire life when they weren't present. No one has once ever been able to articulate an experience like that. And so um fear <laughs> takes us out of being in the present moment it does they don't doesn't coexist. it they don't coexist and uh at least the kind of fear that now if a mountain lion came into this room that would be real fear i'd be very present believe me but that's a different kind of fear than i'm than i'm talking about i'm talking about the made-up kind of fear yeah and we have that fear left over from the mountain liar lion fear well, for I mean, sure. I often tell my clients you know yeah. it's not that fear is bad you know it, it it's there to serve us it has a positive intention but it's we're kind of left over from this caveman lifestyle and our brains you know at least our our core brain just hasn't caught up to the modern day world and so we're still in you know having these yes. reactions that are mountain lion based to our modern day society and so our work is to work on how we can use and employ ways to not be triggered so we can employ love over fear. But I guess that brings me to my next question. And that is, you know, many people that might be listening and including myself, there are times in my life I've worked really hard on this that I've been triggered. And it's almost like you don't even have control over the, the vital choice, right? It doesn't even feel, it comes from a place that feels very subconscious. And so, you know, wanting to put space so that we can respond and not react. And that's the vital choice. How do we do that? Uh, in my, my experience through an awareness that that's what's going on. Like the moment I become aware that fear is ruling it is the moment I have a choice. Um, 
before then, if I'm just reacting, then I, there is no choice. I just keep reacting and reacting. So it's in that awareness. Oh, here I, here I am again, reacting my circumstances instead of creating my circumstances. And so that, that was what I would say is that just becoming aware that that's what's going on. Preoccupation, you know, I was getting to a point with all this in terms of preoccupation, because you ask what, what does preoccupation look like and why is it so destructive? Um, I'll just give you a simple example or thought anyway that most people can relate to. What I notice about most human beings is we tend to give our best version of ourselves at work and our second version, best version of ourselves at home. In other words, we're way more present at work than we are at home. And, and that has a huge cost, especially if you have kids. Because, see, your kids have no say in what version of mom or dad walks through that door. But if you're preoccupied and distracted by work, they pay the biggest price. Mm-hmm. I mean, your spouse can call you on it, but your kids can't. Not when they're young, not when it matters the most. And so what causes us to be preoccupied is um, how can I be enough at work? That's what causes the fear of not being good enough at work continues. We come home, but we don't let work go because we're just still trying to figure out how do I be enough at work? Because that's where I get my validation that I'm good enough. And it's a drug. So so you're saying, and and just so to recap, what I hear you saying is that we we spend more time caring what others think at worth, giving our work, giving our best selves at work versus yeah. home because we are addicted or want to be validated and that we, from an external place, and that is more sort of addictive at, in the workplace context than at home. For sure. And the problem with home is a lot of times we have the experience of not being good enough quite a bit. Yeah. Our kids give us that experience quite a yeah. few times in our yeah. spouse. And so, I'm not judging it as wrong or bad. I'm just trying to illuminate what's going on and why we, why it's so damn hard to be present at home. No, it's it's so true. I mean, this is something yeah. I see across the board in all the work I do with others. And, um, you know, it's so interesting. I never thought about this idea of why we do it. You know, and I well, think this idea of like this validation piece is really, really important. Yeah. So when, when we go to work, I mean, in, me included, uh, we ring the bell, we're good enough every day. And it feels awesome. I don't think there's a better feeling in the human experience than feeling good enough. It's the drug you can't get enough of. And so when we go to work, we ring the bell that we're good enough. And we actually get validated we're good enough. And then, like I said, a lot of us sometimes come home, we have the exact opposite experience. And so not to be going down another road that's probably not related, but in some <laughs> um you know, what happens is we start making a very unconscious choice. Lady, we start out working 40 hours a week and then it creeps to 45 and then 50 and then 55 and 60. And we believe the thought that that's what the job requires. You know, honey, I don't want to work 60 hours a week, but you, you got to understand something. That's what the job requires. I hear that a lot. But is that true? Or is it more true? We're just avoiding the pain of being not good enough at home and the, and the joy of being good enough at work. And that's where we get the bell rung. So we're just making a very unconscious choice. We just keep going there because the well can't, you can't drink from that well enough. I mean, there's not enough to, times to feel good enough. And so it's just that awareness that when I'm home, um, if I'm willing to push through those first five minutes, because it almost always happens in the first five minutes you get home, that's where, the, that's where that confrontation a lot of times happens. And, and my only thought is if you just slow down, overwhelm that experience with love and push through it, you might be surprised what's available to you on the other side of that five minutes. 
But a lot of us check out in those five minutes and we never come back for that whole evening. And then we go from one evening to the next. And then we look up and it's been two weeks since we connected to our spouse or our kids. Yeah, or years. And then our kids are older. Right. Well, yeah, that, that's, yes. Yeah, because our kids are only little, you know, right. where they actually want to connect with us. And I can speak for my yes. own children um, for a very short period of time. That window is very short. And then they, you know, are interested in their peer groups and then they go yeah. off to wherever yeah. they go. But, you know, it's such precious time and not wanting to steal that time from ourselves is really important with this idea of distractions. Yeah. So, again, I, I mean... What would what, what if what would your look, life look like if you were ten percent more present at all? I mean, that would be another way of looking at it. Choosing love over fear, ten percent—they're the same. They, they, they swim in the same pond: love and presence. Um, Isn't that interesting. So, love and presence swim in the same pod. Well, right. let me give you an example. And, and um, you've been in a loving relationship before, ladies. That fair? Yes, yeah. I have. Yes. Yeah, and so I want you to go back, and I want you to remember that that relationship, or maybe you're in one right now, and in that relationship, you're in a conversation with your your spouse who you love or your partner, and in that conversation, you realize they're not present. Mm. Are you loving them then? Now you're feeling resentment. Of course. <laughs> I'm not loving, yeah, I'm not saying you don't love them, but yeah. you're definitely not loving them then. The lovingness goes away in that moment when you experience your partner as being checked out or not present. That's and I've definitely been guilty of doing that to others. Oh, of course, for sure. Me yeah. too, a thousand times. Get my wife on the phone. <laughs> She'll validate that in about 30 seconds. And again, the, the charge is, okay, I, I really get that I'm not present with my spouse right now. I just need to slow down, bring myself back here. That's what the charge is. And, and that's where that awareness piece comes into play. I'm, I'm aware that I'm not present right now. And the good news is I can slow down anytime I want. Yeah, coming back to the present moment is coming a real gift, pun intended. Yeah. And and so when I say presence is the portal to everything that's meaningful, that's what I'm talking about. Because I'm not saying you don't love your husband in this case, but if if you're if they're not present with you, you're not loving them then. You know, I work with distressed couples all the time. I don't know if you knew that. I, I as part of my coaching practice, mm-hmm. I work with distressed couples all the time. And I'd say the number one reason they're sitting across from me is a lack of trust but it isn't fidelity trust. It's a presence trust. Mm. In other words, I consistently experience my, my spouse as being preoccupied. And over time, I've just come to the conclusion I'm not valuable enough for them to slow down and be with me. I don't trust mm. that I'm valuable enough. And so here I am in front of this guy talking about this, my husband or my wife who's preoccupied. And, and so that's the yeah. cost. So what I'm, what I'm, what's coming up for me is this idea of, of those of us who want to build, you know, more connection, more love in all of our relationships. Absolutely. Um, and build trust. Being present with other people builds trust is what you're saying. It is, it is the absolute, it's the one necessary thing to create trust. Yeah. Honestly, to me. And it's, it's free. It's free. It's <laughs> you don't need most, to go to the Caribbean on a romantic vacation. You can just if, be present. <laughs> if I was building a house and I had to build the foundation of that house, the foundation of the word, uh, the, 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 uh, word fulfillment, and the, the, the house was named fulfillment, the base of that fulfillment would be based on presence. The entire foundation of the house would be presence. 
it, nothing, again, you can look in your own lives, guys, anybody on this call, and just do that litmus test. If I'm being honest, when, I, when my spouse isn't present, I'm not loving them then. When I'm not present, I'm love, loving my passions. I could love to go skiing, but if I'm out on the ski slopes and I'm thinking about all the shit I have to do to work at work today, am I loving it then? Mm. No, you're not. You're not connected. And so there's no value there. And you could spend an entire day with your kids. And if you're not present with them, there's zero value that you've provided for that relationship. It's not moved a needle at all. Yeah. And that's why I keep saying that this, this thing, and again, what takes us out of presence, looping it all the way back, is fear. Mm, <laughs> fear and being on our cell phones. <laughs> being on our cell phones. Yes. I mean, we could have a blast with that little thing. Yeah, but, that would be a whole new episode. Yes. But that is a wonderful way for us not to be present yes. and to use fear and comfort, right? Correct. Yeah. Disconnect from those yeah. we love. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a little bit of a, a, sn- a snippet of what I, I see as the vital choice and choosing love over fear and and how, how important it is and then the relationship to presence and preoccupation, distraction or just manifestations of fear. Um, you know, you you want you asked me to, to uh, give an example of fear and, and how it gets in the way. And, and you know, so I was doing a, a talk for a YPO group. Um, a lot of people don't know what YPO is. You certainly do, lady. But YPO is a group of uh, CEOs that um, they get in a room, and every once in a while, I get a chance to come and talk to this group. And um, I was talking to a group of eight men not too long ago, and and there was seven of them that were in their mid forties, um, but there was one young guy who was in. He was thirty five, lady, and um, and we started talking about fear and how much it gets in the way of us and. How, how, how much it kills possibility and all that. And, and the more we talked about fear, the more this CEO got uncomfortable. Like it was, you could see his anxiety rise and rise and finally stop me. He says, Todd, I got to say something. I said, what's that, David? He says, well, I'm not exactly sure how to say this, or even if I should say this, I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but I've decided I'm just going to say it. I said, oh, great. Well, what is it? He said, well, since I took over the role of CEO three months ago, Pretty much every single day I walk in the front door, I'm just waiting for somebody to figure out I have no idea what I'm doing. Imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome. So then I said, boy, David, that, I, I, really, I really get that. And I have a lot of empathy for that. But let me show you something. And I turned to these other seven guys. I mean, all these guys are grizzled vet CEOs running companies 20, 25 years. I said, by a show of hands, how many of you guys had that thought this week? How many hands do you think went up, lady? All of them. Every one of them. Gosh. That's the power of fear that I'm not good enough to run this company. Somebody's going to figure out I'm not enough. Yeah. So for viewers who may, or listeners who may not know, give us a little example of what, I mean, or define the imposter syndrome for us. Well, I think it's just the imposter syndrome is just the, 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 the thought that I don't know what I'm doing and somebody's going to figure it out. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, you know, it's. I think so many of us have that thought, oh. and no one has ever put. You know, the first time I heard that term, I was like, "Me, me!" Oh, <laughs> all the time. I was like, Absolutely. "Thank you so much for defining my life." But yeah. Um, yeah, it's nice to know there's a word words for it. But yes, you know what? What's even nicer though, and if you could have seen uh, David's affect, there was relief knowing that he wasn't alone. I think he literally thought he was the only one that ever had that thought. 
Yeah. And then, then to see these seven men, which he had grown to admire quickly, all, all have that thought. There was just some commonality and some humanity about this. It just, I mean, it, it was so powerful to watch literally his, his physical affect just soften. He's, oh, man, I'm not alone in this. Okay, I got I, this then. Why do you think we have a need as human beings to have all the answers and to believe that we should know everything? especially those in leadership roles? Well, this is a very, very long conversation. And I (laughs) almost hesitate to get into what I'm going to say. The reason I believe that we think we should all have it figured out, because if we could all have it figured out, we'd answer the most important question in the human experience, which is the question, am I good enough? Yeah. See, the problem with that question is that nobody ever told us, not in elementary school, not junior high school, high school or college, that question, am I good enough? has no answer. It literally is unanswerable. But nobody ever told us that. And so we put our heads down. And for most of our life, we spend a lot of time trying to answer a damn question that has no answer. And the reason I can say it has no answer is there's always more you can do to be more enough. There's mm-hmm. no end in sight. If you make 100 grand a year, you can make 200 grand a year. Spend an hour a day with your kids, you could spend two hours a day with your kids. Serve on two boards, you can serve on three. There's no amount of enoughness to grab out there that would ever, ever answer that question permanently. And, and there's actually some humor around that to really slow down to, and to realize how much, I, how much time and effort and energy I've spent trying to answer this damn question. And it would be funny except for one thing. It's what we give up trying to get the answer to this question. I mean, we, big up, we give up some big things. Yeah, there's a cost, right? An impact. Well, there's huge. Let me give you a few. Marriages. Hey. Health. Mm-hmm. Quality time with our kids, quality time with our spouse, quality time with ourselves, joy, passions, fun, you know, those little things. But the biggest thing we give up trying to get, trying to answer this question is presence. Give up a lot of presence, being preoccupied by trying to be good enough. And all those things you listed before, you know, marriage, fun, whatnot, they can't happen without presence, right? They do not happen without presence. And, and, our unending desire to answer this question, it, it tortures us. And yeah, from- because no one ever told us there's no answer to it, we just keep going and grinding, believing if we put enough zeros behind our name or enough titles underneath our name, maybe that'll, that'll answer the damn question. But there are not enough zeros, nor there are enough titles to, to ever put behind your name or underneath your name that could ever answer that question because the question is unanswerable. And that's what keeps us out of presence. It's, it, it's, uh, it's so destructive, this thing. And, and I can't believe we've never talked about it with our kids in junior high school or high school. And, you know, I don't know why nobody's talking about this because it's such an insidious little thing. It's so solvable. You know, I worked with a man uh, a couple months ago. He was 70 years old, still desperate to be good enough for his dad, who's been dead for 20 years. Yeah, we see this a lot in coaching, don't we? Oh, my gosh. And, the, and that's okay, except for one thing three divorces, estranged from his children, all because he spent so much time trying to answer that question at work and proved that he was good enough for his dad. It was yeah. sad, but then he got free in one conversation. It's like, oh my God, I wish I could have filmed his affect because it was remarkable. He almost turned yeah. ashen white when he got all the things he'd given up trying to answer this damn question that has no answer. And don't you think that if we were ever to reach that answer, even just a little bit, even though it's unanswerable, the only person who can answer it is us. 
Yeah, of course. And, and, and listen, um, we we certainly can be good enough in in the moment, but it's not it, it, it's fleeting. Like we can certainly right. have the experience of being good enough. And the reason I say that no no one's ever answered that question is in order to answer that question, you'd have to have one thing going on for you. You'd have to have it all figured out. I mean everything. <laughs> I'm laughing because we know this is like, you know, obtaining perfection or enlightenment. Right. It's just not going to happen in this it lifetime. does not happen <laughs> in this lifetime. Absolutely does not. So I like to apply humor. Listen, I'm still driven by the desire to be good enough, but I do have a context around it. And at least I get that it's an unanswerable question. Yeah, because at least, you know, then we can get curious about like yes. why, what drives us and why and, right. and become detectives in our own line, lives and also do this amazing thing, which puts space, you know, between us and our triggers so that we can, you know, make the right choice when we're faced with the vital choice. And that is to be present, loving, even when we feel otherwise. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, so in the in the short time we have left before we close today, um, please tell people, folks and listeners, if they want you to come speak, coach with them, whatever. Yeah. How do they find more of you? How do they find more of Todd Musselman? Well, I guess just probably the easiest way: just reach out via email. Just um, either Todd dot Musselman or Todd. <laughs> I think Todd Musselman dot net. That oh god, I have to figure that out. Never mind. Here's <laughs> a, a definite one. Todd7424 Gmail. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Okay. Todd7424 at gmail.com. Email him. As you know, from this past hour of listening, he's a beautiful speaker. And I could talk to you, Todd, probably for the rest of the day over this topic and many, many others on this this idea of, you know, pushing through fear with love. And I just want to leave with listeners with what's resonating most for me, besides the fact that when I see my children after school today, I'm going to tell them that they are enough. I am also going to, you know, just put somewhere in my house, this idea, a drawing or whatnot of, of this hurdle of fear. And on Mm. the other side of it being our magic. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. When you do that, will you send me a picture? I will. I will. Because it's just this idea, like, we are the ones who put this bulletproof glass of fear up to block our own magic, which is the irony, right? No one else does that for us. (laughs) We do it. And so it is our job to undo it so that we can experience the wonder and beauty and joy and fulfillment in life that, you know, is our birthright to do, to do so. So. In conclusion, thanks everyone for listening. um, Check us out next week, Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. And the road to happiness is paved with healthy habits. And we'll see you next time. Check us out on Facebook at Habits for Happiness and tune in. Look forward to it. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, lady. Great to see you. Likewise. Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.